You're listening to Accounting Matters, an accounting podcast powered by Embark about accounting matters because accounting matters. On today's episode, we picked up our IPO mini-series and jumped into the IPO readiness assessment. If you haven't listened to the first episode, I would encourage you to start there as we go through an overview of this whole IPO process. Going public is a huge commitment and a big decision, so we talk through all of the important aspects that you may need to consider before going public. Consider this your premarital counseling session before the big wedding day. We hope you enjoy the episode and learn something new. This is Sarah Cage, and I'm joined again by my co-host Adam Olson, Embark's National Quality Leader, and we are bringing back a longtime friend of the show, an Accounting Matters veteran, on his birthday, Jason Larkin, our Capital Markets Leader. Welcome back, guys. Welcome, Sarah. Good to be here. Happy birthday. Yeah, nothing nothing like a birthday present getting to do a podcast with you guys. So this is awesome. Well, I have a little joke for today. They can't all be winners, but I'm going to give this one a shot. Did you know that Michael Buffer, the guy who made up the phrase, let's get ready to rumble, gets paid $25,000 to $100,000 every time he says that phrase? I did not know that. That's a good fun fact. (laughs) So let's get ready to rumble and talk about IPO readiness. I do not get paid $100,000 when I say that, full disclosure. Um, But I do hear a lot of companies talk about IPO readiness assessments. So Adam, I think it would be helpful for our listeners to first understand what the purpose is of an IPO readiness assessment. Yeah, so IPO readiness, you know, assessment, and it really has to do with the planning, executing, the management of the whole IPO process. And it's it's really a significant journey for any company that's um, you know looking to head down that path, and it's you know it's critical step that they definitely have to take is obviously preparing before they jump into the IPO process is just figuring out the status quo. Where are they at today? Um, you know, the better prepared a company is going into the IPO process will not only save a lot of time but also a ton of money because you know as we all know going through the IPO process is a very expensive endeavor. Um, so, you know, most companies are always going to start with this, like, are we ready? Where are we at today? What do we need to do? And that's, you know, what's done through this quote unquote IPO readiness. Um, one thing to keep in mind is that IPO readiness really isn't just centered only on like what it takes to go public. So I think that's obviously the big first hurdle everyone's looking at, but also thinking kind of beyond the actual offering itself and once they are a public company, so like what it means to actually be public. Um, so kind of keeping that in mind is that, you know, you kind of have a day one, you know, assessment you need to do, but also thinking about kind of the day two and longer term requirements that will be um, needed of the company going forward. Um, you know, part of the right, you know, the readiness assessment is also just looking at you know, what are all the new skill sets or personnel we potentially might need, the talent we need to bring in, the changes we're going to have to make across the organization. And so these assessments are, you know, typically done kind of one of two ways, depending on kind of maybe the the maturity of the company, kind of where things at, you know, the, the level of executives that they have on board, et cetera. So, you know, there's there's one view of kind of doing what's considered kind of like a holistic assessment, which is really looking at the entire organization. You're bringing kind of all the heavy players into the conversation here. So you've got the board of directors involved, all your C-suite teams. Um, You're going to have, you know, obviously like a certain punch list of different areas that you want to address and tackle and understand. 
um, kind of where you're at so that you can be successful as you move forward on that IPO journey. So it's thinking through things of like, you know, what are the offering strategic objectives, looking at specific business issues that the, you know, the organization may have, understanding, you know, the time necessary to, you know, shore up things for the registration statement, get the registration statement um, drafted and filed and all that, um, as well as the time that's going to be required just to like do the day two stuff. So just to operate as a public company. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there's other entities too, that maybe they feel like they've got, you know, certain aspects of the organization kind of well-oiled, ready to go, but there are certain areas where, you know, maybe they want to take a deeper look at. So a common one is really doing more of a targeted assessment. And a lot of times this will be on kind of the finance or accounting or tax type departments and really just looking at and helping maybe like the CFO or the CAO understand, um, you know, maybe where there's some gaps um, in their in their departments um, themselves and maybe where they need to shore up different things, processes, policies, procedures, et cetera. Um, you know, one thing to keep in mind is that you know, the, the whole process, even the, the readiness process itself, you know, it, it's very long, it's very lengthy, it's a lot of hours. You know, sometimes there's a lot of pressure to condense that process into an even shorter period, which obviously just builds more pressure. Um, but it really is important to know like where your gaps exist and where you need to focus because it helps, you know, the team, you know, whether it's the IPO readiness team, you know, um, you know the, the C-suite, the board, whoever, you know, look back at and say, hey, do we have all the right resources? Who do we need to bring in to help us with this journey? Um, you know, this is a, you know, area then where a lot of consultants and advisors and things of, you know, parties of that nature come on board to really help you kind of move forward and address all those items that are identified. So you mentioned the readiness for both going public and being public. Could you kind of parse out those two ideas and how they're different? Yeah, so going public is really just focusing on like the registration statement itself. So getting all the necessary information, the financial statements, um, everything that's required to go into your your S1, um, getting that submitted to the SEC, um, you know, addressing comments with the SEC, you know, executing your roadshows, getting all the pricing set to go and doing the offering itself. Um, that's what's really going to kind of go into that going public. It's really just to kind of get that initial offering um, up and going, get to proceeds and close that offering. Um, the concept of being public then is, the, you know, looking at the organization itself operating as a public company and what that means to be a public company and the requirements of that organization as a public company. So this is looking at you know, having to potentially upgrade or invest in different areas of the business in order to fulfill the requirements. So sometimes like systems, for example, or, you know, bringing in an SEC reporting talent that you maybe don't have in-house to help with the ongoing reporting requirements, Um, thinking about things like investor relations and, you know, marketing and communications type groups, Mm -hmm. you know, certain in-house counsel or getting a, you know, reputable external counsel to help you with some of the legalities of being a, you know, a public company itself. So it's really that day to operational um, and regulatory reporting type stuff that um, really is kind of the being public aspect of the readiness. And I think splitting those two things out is really important to think about because a lot of companies approach this journey as just getting public. But really, that's just the beginning point. You now have to operate successfully as a public company. And so part of this assessment is not just getting public. I think um, many companies can get public through 
bringing on advisors, doing different things. It's really being a successful public company day two. And I think it's important for our listeners to think about those two critical pieces. There's not just getting public, but being public and being a successful public company is the goal of any company that's trying to go public. That kind of makes me think of the difference between focusing on wedding day versus a marriage. You know, you <laughs> exactly. A big event. Yep. If you get lost in the weeds, that's you're gonna... a good analogy. Yeah, yeah. I, like I like that. that. <laughs> well, there's a lot of commitment involved in going public. Yeah, that's it's right. a, you know, you might need some premarital counseling <laughs> and all these things. It's kind of it's a, yeah. it's a it's a good analogy. Yeah, I like that. So we've covered some of the why behind the readiness assessment. So maybe yep. Jason, you could talk us through how you actually go through that assessment. Yep. Yeah. Definitely. So I think there are definitely different approaches to a readiness assessment um, based on ultimately what the objective is, right? So we laid out the holistic approach or a very targeted approach. And so that is going to, to some extent, dictate how it is, how it works. But I think with all assessments, um, the way that the way that we've seen this play out is really starting with understanding where are you today and gathering current state documents. So you think about your financial statements, you think about your you know process or controls documentation if you have any of that, your current governance documents, a lot of different things, capturing all of that, sanitizing and standardizing all that so you understand where are we today to organize all that information. Then going through interviews to really unpack, all right, we've read your financials, but talk through with us. What is your current closed process? Where do you have controls? Doing those interviews with a variety of key stakeholders. And really the purpose of all of this is to understand current state and compare that to the requirements of being a public company and then the best practices to be a successful public company. So there's basic requirements that companies have to have. When you go through an IPO readiness assessment, you're going to want to compare current state with what the actual requirements are. You also then, um, in that IPO readiness assessment, want to understand what have um, you seen from other companies that are successful public companies. And so comparing and contrasting current state with a desired future state. Going through those interviews ultimately ends in a readiness assessment report, which can vary significantly in length depending upon the holistic versus targeted approach, but really outlines and does you know, oftentimes a heat map, right? What are the 10 things you need to do now, the 10 things you should think about doing next, and the 10 things that maybe you can wait until after you go effective as a public company, but something that should still be on the radar. Um, but it provides that snapshot in time to ultimately compare and really develop an action plan moving forward. One of the other things that um, sometimes occurs in the readiness assessment is taking all that and actually building out a detailed roadmap. Um, some companies like to break that out and really just digest everything because these, these assessments can be very detailed, right? They can have hundreds of observations um, and recommendations for a company. So sometimes it's helpful to digest it all, then develop a roadmap. If you do a more targeted approach, maybe the roadmap can be built alongside of the assessment so that walking out of that assessment, company knows exactly what they need to do next. So what types of areas would be in the scope of the assessment? Maybe just like hit on the yep. high notes. Yeah, great question, Sarah. So I think there's a variety of areas that ultimately we see in a lot of these assessments. You've got accounting, finance, tax, legal, governance, HR and compensation, 
internal audit if that um, function is established, investor relations and IT um, are a lot of the areas if you're gonna go the holistic route and really touch the entire organization. Yeah, so basically an entire business. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> so maybe you could go into a little bit more detail on what we would cover in each of those areas. Yep. Yeah, so let's start with accounting and finance for our listeners, probably one of the key areas that they're interested in. Um, so really starts with the financial statements. Where are they at today? What would need to be upscaled for public company? Um, and then that dovetails very quickly into auditors. Who are your auditors? Mm -hmm. What type of independence do your auditors have? Obviously there's specific requirements for your auditors from an independence perspective that you really have to think about about um, along with the financial statements. Then you start to look at the close process um, with your entire financial close. So what is the length of time that it takes? What is the information that's being prepared? You know, we see a lot of private companies that close the books, but then they've got adjusting entries that occur weeks and weeks and sometimes months after close, right? Mm -hmm. And so how does that work in a public environment where you need to close the numbers, go through earnings call prep and investor relations prep and all of that and can't really have the numbers moving. So you think about all of the intricacies of a close process that needs to be evaluated. Um, then you think about the staffing, the resources from an accounting standpoint. So what are the skill sets and experiences of our team today mm -hmm. and what do they need to be? You know, a lot of private companies don't have SEC reporting directors because honestly, why would you, right? <laughs> not, not really necessary. Something that's critically important for um, a public company. Again, I go back to, that's not a requirement. You don't have to check a box to say I have an SEC reporting director to be a public company, but a best practice that we see with a lot of companies where you create that new role and identify talent to bring on because mm -hmm. the rigor and the requirements of SEC reporting is very different from private reporting. Then you get into socks and controls and do we need to design controls? Are controls already designed and we just need to move to testing those, but really understanding current state from a SOX perspective, everything around controls, designing, implementing, and testing those controls. The last area in accounting and finance is really the projections. Um, and this dovetails a little bit into treasury, depending upon how your um, organization is structured, but you know, taking history and saying, what does that look like in terms of projecting into the future if we're going to project earnings um, for future years? What does that process look like? What is our level of accuracy that if we were to do this or had done this historically, how does that compare to what actually happened? What do we need to refine that? So those are some of the, the critical things within accounting and finance and treasury. Then if we shift to tax, it's really what is your current tax structure and what does that need to be? You know, There are certain requirements for tax structures to be a public company. You can't be a LLC flow through and be a public company. So what are we today and what do we need to be? This is an area that often tax advisors will spend a significant amount of time restructuring, developing um, steps plans to optimize taxes, but also comply with the, with the rules. Um, then if we move into capital markets, governance and strategy, this is oftentimes where companies will need to really think about what is the business story? What is the structure that we want from an equity perspective? And what is our goals, right? Mm -hmm. Do you actually know what the story is that you're gonna tell the street? Or is that something that needs to be developed? Really a key 
part of this whole thing, but going through and understanding what is the capital market strategy? What is our business strategy? What is the growth model? Are we looking to grow internationally or new products, whatever that is, but understanding is that already defined mm-hmm. or is that something that that needs to be further refined as you move forward? For a lot of companies, that's an area that they've already thought a lot about because if you're having this discussion, there's a natural inflection point that says, hey, as a business, we need to access capital to do X, Y, Z, or we want to go public for X, Y, Z reason, but making sure that that's been fully thought through. Um, then it's the timelines um, and, and developing an overall key execution on the capital market side because there are certain windows from a regulatory perspective that you can and can't go public in. So you got to really be able to, to balance all of that. Um, the last area I'll hit on is governance, leadership, and legal. So one of the things that's important in this assessment is really to look at outside of just finance and accounting, but the entire organization, who is involved, what are the skill sets that they have, and what are the skill sets that are necessary. Um, There is a mix of both regulatory requirements and best practices. There are, depending upon where you list, there are certain requirements in terms of, you know, what functions you have within the board. Do you have a of a finance committee? Do you have a governance committee, a compensation committee, understanding what are the basic requirements? And then what are the best practices? What are companies that are going public see in terms of having independent board members with different views um, go through that? Um, and then ultimately, you know, you've got to have an audit committee. There's certain things that within the entire governance legal framework that you really have to think about. Um, so those are some of the areas Adam, maybe do you mind hitting on internal audit and IT and, and really diving into those areas a little bit further? Yeah, sure. So from an internal audit perspective, you know, there's a few things to keep in mind is one, only one um, exchange actually requires an internal audit function. So any, you know, registrant that's going to be listed on the New York Stock Exchange, it is an actual requirement to be on the exchange that you actually have established an internal audit function. Mm-hmm. But that being said, you know, numerous public companies, yeah. right, have internal audit functions just because of the significant value internal audit brings to the organization. You know, when you think about any company that wants to continue to grow in order to sustain that growth, it's imperative that they have an internal audit function, not only to manage this risk, but you know, you think about all the controls and compliance and things that need to be in place yeah. um, to support that growth. It's, it's vital to have that organization in place. Um, another thing to kind of keep in mind is that you know Sarbanes-Oxley as well um, has certain requirements where executives are you know expected to make certifications, um, you know about the financial statements and the the representation of what's presented in those financial statements and then the filings themselves and so. You know, there's actual a lot of personal liability that's attached with those certifications. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know that that you know you, we cap, you know those executives are going to be privy to. And so, you know, just for their own peace of mind, I would imagine, you know, a lot of them, they take a lot of value and a lot of comfort in having internal audit within their organization or establishing it within their organization to help ensure, you know, that they've got the right control structures in place, you know, risk management in place, et cetera, you know, to help validate, you know, ultimately what they're signing off on that they can feel comfortable with. So again, so why it's not always required, you will see a lot of public companies or newly public companies look to establish an internal audit function. You know, some even will outsource internal audit temporarily, maybe while, you know, as they continue to grow, if you think about some smaller startups going public, it may not make sense to invest um, in your own internal audit function, but having some type of presence that can serve in that capacity. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and then one other area to touch on would just be kind of IT. So like if you just think about we're all so heavily dependent on IT these days. Yeah. Um, you know, Jason was alluding to just some of the, like the reporting requirements, accelerated yep. reporting requirements, the demands of having to have information quickly. Um, so a lot of times, you know, pub companies that are going public, you know, their their current, you know, IT systems, um, processes, et cetera, you know, they may not they may have worked, you know, temporarily for where they're at today, but if their organization is looking to achieve operational growth, yeah. um, they want to ensure that they've got, you know, adequate systems, um, investments in those systems to support that growth. So, mm-hmm. you know, it's another area where a lot of investment typically has to be made um, just to support that growth um, and really also help shore up their abilities to, you know, meet the demands of having to report more quickly um, or have information readily available. This can also work in reverse too. You know, sometimes if, um, you know, an entity that's going public is being spun off from a larger organization, they actually may have the the opposite problem where they have two advanced systems, maybe for the simplicity of their business. Um, And so they may want to look to take something a little bit more simplistic. Um, But another area where we also see challenges with IT and systems is if, you know, the entity going public was kind of a conglomerate of a bunch of acquisitions over time and they all were kind of independently running on their own systems and processes and policies, you know, just trying to like bring all that together to kind of um, under one umbrella is, is another uplift that needs to be done in a lot of cases just to help simplify and streamline that reporting. And so that can be another area where investment's necessary. Well, that sounds like a lot to consider in this process. <laughs> I did like, Jason, how you gave a good example of delegating and yeah. outsourcing, spreading the duties. Yeah. Um, so once we've considered all of these things and we've done this assessment, uh, what happens next? Yeah. yeah, so I think the first step is really to digest and, and take time to develop a steering committee that can truly analyze where are we today. Um, and that's gonna cover a wide variety of functions within the organization. If you did the holistic assessment, the steering committee should be comprised, right, of members throughout the organization that can digest the observations and understand what needs to happen next. And that is, is really important to build out that detailed roadmap. So if it wasn't something that was part of the assessment, really then building that out, saying, okay, what are we going to accomplish and when are we going to accomplish that and creating a meeting cadence and a framework to hold each other accountable. Um, One of the things that's really difficult through the IPO journey is there's still a day job. You're still running a business full time. And so establishing that roadmap, having a plan, and then having a framework to continue to communicate with the steering committee and with other members based on what are the key objectives is really the critical next step to ensure success as you embark on this journey. You did it again. (laughs) He's done that in every episode he comes on. Well, with that, I think we're ready to move on to the next phase of the IPO process and in today's discussion there. Although I would warn our listeners, this may be one of our shorter run times in this IPO mini-series, but I assume this part of the IPO process is very extensive. Yes, for sure. The short episode is not representative of the potential long journey. (laughs) Don't let the runtime fool you. (laughs) That's right. We were efficient in covering this topic, but I'm sure that that is not the reality. Um, Next time, we'll bring Jana Gregory back to discuss financial statement requirements and common issues. Thank you, Jason, for coming back on your birthday, nonetheless. It's good to see we haven't scared you away. (laughs) (laughs) And thank you to our listeners for following along on another episode of Accounting Matters.
This podcast is for general informational purposes only. Embark makes no representation or warranty as to the accuracy or completeness of the information contained in the podcast series, and it should not be used as a substitute for consultation with professional advisors. Information discussed in our podcast may also be superseded by new guidance or as new interpretations emerge. Listeners are cautioned to carefully evaluate any relevant subsequent authoritative guidance issued.